Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Big Red Bus as we take this glorious bus out onto the roads of Illinois, red metallic. Uh, as the sun hits the red metallic on the roof, it brings solace to, to me and uh, to my mind. My co-host, Doug Tone. How are you doing, brother? What's... If you're going to at least describe the bus, at least figure it out in advance. <laughs> okay. like, don't, don't stutter over the bus description for five minutes. That's just embarrassing for you all of us. I'm going to write something out for like a half an hour on one of these shows. and just I, I can't wait to hear at what point you, you come in and say, all right, that's enough. It's just going to be like an Impractical Jokers episode. How long can we talk about the bus before <laughs> it just hangs up? Exactly. All right, man. Well, a couple things to talk about in this, this episode. I'm really looking forward to getting your opinion. And I think we're going to be a little bit more simpatico in our opinions uh, than we were last week, but we've been, I've been enjoying the debate. Mike D'Antonio, he's no longer going to be head coach of the Houston Rockets. He's going to move on. A lot, of, a lot of talk, a lot of talk about him taking over in New Orleans, which I think would be a fantastic move for that organization. But why don't we start out with Billy Donovan, who parted ways with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, I think by all accounts, he did, and I would concur, he did a fantastic job this year. He was co-coach of the year. A um, little bit of a, I'd say, a mixed bag overall. He's had a lot of talent there, uh, but let's start out with him as a potential head coach for the beloved Bull. What say you, Doug Tonus? So when it comes to Bill Donovan, Mike D'Antoni, or Nate McMillan, three head coaches with a lot of prior experience, I, I'm going to throw Mike Brown into that group as well, guys who I feel are all capable. I tend to view coaches as uh, either passing a threshold or not passing a threshold, and to the extent one coach is better than the next, I don't think it's so much their raw talent as much as they have a better connection with their particular players on that team or that situation. Like a, a guy who does really well in one spot, I don't think necessarily he'll do really well in another. I don't actually think coaches move the needle that much. So you know, I think all four of those guys I just named, Brown, Donovan, D'Antoni, McMillan, I think all four of those guys passed the threshold of a decent coach to me and would be an upgrade over Boylan, who – I probably doesn't pass that threshold I'll get, his situation was pretty weird so I wasn't quite so against him as most people but probably doesn't pass that threshold so I think any of those guys could be good if they connect with our staff would be valuable hires uh, of that grouping of guys I think Mike D'Antoni and uh, Bill Donovan I think those two will probably be a little bit more expensive McMillan also probably reasonably pricey I think you could probably pick up Mike Brown uh, for a, a very reasonable cost and I think he's actually a, a pretty viable candidate that uh, I don't know that anyone is really talking about uh, at all. So out of the two, Mike D'Antoni and, uh, and, and Donovan, which one of those two would you prefer personally? I like D'Antoni. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of D'Antoni. Uh, I think he's very creative. I think he'll do extreme things and doesn't care if other people think it's a good idea or a bad idea. When he was in Phoenix, you know, he built an offense around Steve Nash and, you know, just focused on pushing the ball real fast, pushing the, the pace real fast, and getting up and down the court and shooting more threes before it was popular. Uh, lo and behold, that became really a lot more common uh, as time went on, and he was really ahead of his time. When I look at what he's done around James Harden, you know, to build an elite offense around this guy uh, by having him do isolation step-back threes and, and play kind of like ugly basketball and super small ball and some of this other stuff, I really don't think other coaches would have been able to, to pull that off or would have tried to pull it off. I think they would have said that's too far out of convention and not done that. And so I think from what I've seen of Mike D'Antoni, I think he's more willing to just kind of do anything that makes sense given his personnel and, and try things that really fit his people and be willing to adjust a lot. So I, 
I don't know, you know, if he could win a title, but I, I think he could in, in the right situation. I mean, they were they were close with the Rockets and, and they were close with the Suns. Both those teams might have had a very good chance of winning titles had it not been for injury. So I'm uh, I'm I'm probably a little higher on Mike D'Antoni than, than most other people, but I, I think his price tag will be very high and I don't know that he'll be super excited about going to coach a rebuilding team like the Bulls, especially after his experience with the Knicks. I love Mike too. I think he would be the best choice. I don't think he's going to get hired. Uh, I think, are you in agreement with me that it's not going to be any of these guys? I think the Bulls are going to go, uh, you know, go in the route for a first time head coach. It's going to probably be Wes Unsell Jr. or Udoka. And I'm fine with either choice. Do you agree with that? Or do you think they're going to probably look for a coach with experience? I agree with what you're saying will be the outcome. Uh, it would not be my first choice of an outcome. I'd rather get someone with some experience. I mean, like I said, if you view coaches as a threshold, like you have to meet a minimum bar. And after that, it's like the, the amount of value is not that different. Like, I think if you swap whoever you think the best coach in the league is with the 15th best coach, that you probably wouldn't see a whole lot of difference Agreed. in terms of your, your team output. So, you know, getting a guy I feel is, is definitely in that top 15, you know, and I think those, those guys we talked about could, could do that. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather do that than, than take a shot in an assistant who could just be another Jim Boylan. I mean, Jim Boylan was a well-thought-of assistant when we hired him, and uh, now we think he's just complete trash. Uh, I, I'm going to assume that we hire someone better than him. But, you know, when I look at Philadelphia, that's a team that's underachieved a whole bunch. We hired their GM, and we're going to hire one of their assistants to be our head coach. And maybe those two guys weren't the, the people who caused Philly to, to be one of the biggest underachieving hot messes in, in the league. But... You know, it doesn't make me super thrilled that we're going to try and, you know, pick up Philly's scraps and the Washington Wizards' scraps. Like, yeah. <laughs> these aren't exactly a huge winning organizations. So, um, like I said, that may not really reflect on uh, Udoka fairly at all, but I'm, I'm a little not so excited about him. You know, I, I don't know a whole lot about Wes Unsold Jr. Maybe he's fine. Obviously, AK has got a, a good relationship with him and, and knows a whole lot about him. So I think he, he might be the front runner just for that reason. Yeah, in general, I agree with most of your comments, especially about coaches. I, I think the vast majority of NBA coaches are rock solid. I think you got to be pretty bad to, to have a really detrimental effect on the team. I think Jim Boylan, without a doubt, qualified for that. When he took timeouts, inexcusable. The things that you controlled, you know, player minutes, he obviously favored some players who shouldn't receive as many minutes as they did. His timeout situation was an embarrassment. But most importantly, as a head coach, you got to communicate you got to sell yourself to the team, and you have to sell yourself, sell the organization to the media. Post-game press conferences, he failed miserably uh, by any estimation in all of the above. So I'm so glad he's gone. I think whoever they bring in will, be, will look considerably better in the light of day. To defend Udoka, you know, as an assistant coach uh, for, for my son's travel team and as someone who's been an assistant before, and I've also been a head coach, it's night and day, really. It, it, you, you do not have any... Any, anywhere near the power that you do as a head coach. And I, I, I think it's a little bit unfair with, you know, a guy who was obviously as incompetent as uh, what they had in, with the 76ers, you know, with how incompetent he was that, you know, as an assistant, I don't think it's fair to tarnish his image that way. I, I think everyone rips on the head coach in retrospect and in hindsight and places a lot of blame on them that is that is unfair frequently so like you know like i don't know that brett brown is incompetent I, I know i'm not like excited to go hire him or anything but i don't know i i, I just feel like there's a lot going on in that situation that it was uh difficult to manage either way i agree with you i don't know that i would say it makes me 
put uh, Udoka on my like don't hire list. I'm just saying, you know, picking up a, a few people from an organization that I feel was run very poorly and had a lot of talent and vastly underachieved is just not something that I'm real excited about in general. Fair enough. Let's move on to Isaac Okoro, uh, more draft analysis. Let's move on. Every week as we approach a draft, I'd like to explore a player who's been mentioned as a possible as a possible player the Bulls will pick at four, potentially move down to get, move up to get. Isaac Okoro's name has been coming up more and more frequently in the sites I follow, with some of the people I respect on Twitter uh, who like who follow the draft. I'd love to get your opinion on him. I've started a deep dive on him. I'd uh, love to get your initial impressions. Yeah, you know, I, I hadn't really looked into Okoro until you told me we should talk about him on this podcast, and then and I started looking into him just for, for that reason, just to have this discussion. And so, you know, kind of looking at the various videos and uh, YouTube scouting and whatever I can do at this point, uh, I thought, all right, this guy looks uh, pretty impressive defensively, uh, very strong athletically, looks like he's going to be able to cover a, a whole lot of different people, look like, like a very solid passer, a very smart player, looks like he does the right things. And the only question is, he doesn't look like an offensive creator, didn't score in any type of volume, doesn't have a jump shot. Uh, his release and his form on his jumper, I did not think was something that projected to be good going forward. And so his passing at the, the collegiate level, I thought looked good. I thought he made my, uh, good decisions with the ball and, and looked like a very solid passer. And so I kind of said, are you going to get Ronnie Brewer or are you going to get Andre Iguodala? out of this guy. Uh, and, you know, those are kind of like maybe, I guess the floor is always some dude who doesn't even belong in the league. Yeah. And maybe Robbie Brewer is too high of a floor. But, you know, I kind of, I could see how he could be a guy like that. And uh, I could see if his game just develops a little bit, how he could be a guy like Andre Iguodala. But I, I definitely was pretty impressed. You know, the the lack of volume in his scoring was, was probably the biggest concern. And overall, and then the, the lack of, of uh, jump shooting ability and consistency in his form that looked like it wasn't something that was just like, oh, it's all put together and he just needs confidence. You know, he, he looks like a guy who needs to you know, have someone really rework his whole shot to to hit at the next level. Yeah, I think NBA draft net had his strengths at defense, athleticism, finishing, size and strength, versatility, fit. I concur in all those. I mean, 6'6", 225, he looks like a tank. Uh, he's absolutely ready. You can see just immediately. Just you, you could. He's a type of player that you can see finishing games. You know, like a guy in the NBA. Like okay, he's versatile. You can switch on almost anybody. You know, he, he's absolutely on the defensive end. You had zero concerns about him. Seems like a smart player too on that end too. I I saw a lot of good signs. Team, you know, as a team defender. But his weaknesses, uh, you know, shooting his the shooting videos I've. The games I've watched, I saw a game against Alabama. It was it was atrocious. I mean, wide open three point shots, the collegiate level that he, he just he I, one step back air ball was like I, I'm still having nightmares about. You know that's something that can get better. It's really hard to judge, but 28 percent in the in the collegiate ranks is it going to get significantly better? Is that somebody? It's really hard to figure that out. Um, I mean, and that really depends on what's his work ethic, and that's what. You know, our tourists need to find out how hard is this guy going to work to get better at his game. He's only, what, 19 years old. So he's, you know, he still has quite a bit of time to develop that shot, but he needs a ton of work to get that. The other big uh, negative for me was his wingspan. He's not that wide defensively. Usually guys like Chris Dunn, I love, are really wide, have that great wingspan to disrupt a lot of passes. 
I don't think he has a very uh, large wingspan. You know, he's kind of like a Jimmy Butler type of build, a little obviously a little shorter than Jimmy. But, you know, obviously Jimmy Butler's been a, a very good defender. So he, I think his ceiling as a defender is pretty high. You know, maybe all defensive uh, ability there. I, I don't see any faults in his game defensively, but he does have a ton of work. Big picture to me, he doesn't have enough offense to warrant a number four overall pick. Like, you got you to gotta move down. If that's your pick, if that's the guy you think is going to be the best, and I'm not saying he's not. Like, I think this draft is that poor that he could be the best player but I think there's other players that organizations are going to be willing to take a chance on, whether it's Ball, you know, whoever. And I think you can get him maybe at seven, eight, or nine. What say you? So I'll say this: if he's the best player, you just take him. And maybe if he becomes Ronnie Brewer, and that's like the best you think you're going to get, then you still take him. You know, like the idea of just trade it. I mean, it makes sense if there's a trade out there that makes sense for you, and someone else wants to make a trade. But, you know, go go look at the teams that are kind of in that range and try and figure out who's going to make a trade with you. There's really not anyone until Boston who has two picks in this draft. Boston's at 14. Uh, and I don't think you probably want to trade all the way back to 14. You know, I mean. No and way. No way. Their other, their other picks are like 26 and 30 or something like that. I, don't, I probably have the numbers wrong, but they're late. So it's not like you'd be getting some, some really great picks. You know, is someone going to give you – you know, the, uh, their pick at like eight and then the right to swap picks with them next year or like an unprotected pick next year or, or maybe like a lottery protected pick next year or something. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, I just don't I just don't see trading back as, as a particularly likely scenario, not because it doesn't make sense for us, but just because it doesn't make sense for anyone else to trade up. And, you know, if, if there's a trade out there that makes sense, we should definitely do it. I mean, I'd be very comfortable trading back to eight or nine or ten in this draft. But I, I don't see that that's likely to happen. I just don't don't think there's going to be much value that anyone's going to be willing to give up to, to move up the slots. So even if you take a guy that kind of feels like a reach, you mean in this draft, you never know who's going to take who where. You know, if you wait for this guy at seven, he just might not be there. I mean, the, uh, you just have no idea. So I think you, you take the guy you want unless unless you really have something reasonable on the board to, to look at. I'd like to throw out some other names uh, of, of guys that are projected to go ahead of him. And I'd like to know your initial impression. Do you like him less or more, possibly, than some people that are scheduled that are projected to go ahead of him right now? So let me throw out Anthony Edwards. Do you like him more or less? Uh, Edwards, for sure, more. How about um, Lamelo Ball? It's hard for me to say. Like I, I kind of feel like I should have to like Lamelo Ball more, but I just really don't see how Lamelo Ball is going to be a, a great NBA player, or even a good NBA player. And I, I just don't want his family around. I, I, I just don't think whoever drafts them is going to be happy with what they get. So, I, I would maybe I would just say I just don't want Lamelo Ball, and I would pass on him. I agree 100. percent I'm not, I'm a little confused as to why he's so beloved with his poor shooting and horrific defense. But uh, I prefer this kid Nakoro to Ball. James Wiseman. I'd take Wiseman. Killian Hayes. Uh, it's kind of a crapshoot that one to me. Um, we'll get into Killian more. Probably detail. take probably take Okoro. Denny Denny A. I'd probably take Denny. But Denny. again, it's uh, you're, you're getting it, and I guess maybe to go through all these guys, I think the main situation with all of them is like really depends like what you feel you get when you interview these guys, how good you feel they work. But I, I think in this case, I think I'd take Denny. How about Obi Toppin? And it's like almost like Toppin is like the opposite. 
of uh, of Okoro, right? <laughs> like the <laughs> offensive guy who doesn't do anything on defense. Um, I would I'd probably take Okoro only due to the age thing, which scares me off on top end. Though Brandon Clark makes me think twice. And the last one would be Halliburton that we analyzed last week. Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a tough one. Uh, in a way, I think he's, he's similar to me in, in how I view Okoro. And like, I, I, you could see with both these guys, like how they'll have like pretty high floors, uh, but like maybe low ceilings. Like they both have things you don't think they're likely to fix that will prevent them from being good players. And and so it just kind of depends which of those those things that are on their floor that you like. I think I would take Halliburton. When I watch Okoro, would you you know concur with me that? Immediately, I'm like, oh, there's a place in the league for this guy. He's gonna be, he's not gonna be a bust. He'll have a seven or eight year career, provided he doesn't have any serious injuries. He's he's an athletic specimen who plays fantastic defense. There's a place in the NBA for for a curl. Yeah, he's he's Ronnie Brewer. If things don't work out, I think, like I mean, I, I think he's, I like Ronnie. Yeah, I like him. Which is okay. A guy who scores off cuts. A guy who can get out on the break. You know, it's very athletic. Can be disruptive defensively. Uh, but Ronnie Brewer, probably in the modern NBA, is not like a starter. I don't really know if he's really even a starter in the old NBA. And you know, if Okoro doesn't develop <laughs> yeah, yeah, some offense and develop at least a corner three and a decent a set shot, I think he, he's going to be pretty limited. It'd be kind of like having uh, you know, Chris Dunn almost as a comparison. Yeah, I agree. Or, yeah, or, or Shaq Harrison. Yeah, he's a rotation player, but is he a starter? I don't, right now I don't see enough offensive game anywhere near it to be – an all-star when you're picking at four, you'd like to see that, but um, yeah, you're but right. You don't see that with anyone, right? Like, I mean, like, everyone you could take at four is, is going to have to solve like two or three puzzles to, to become that type of player. And if you go with a guy who's 19 and amazingly athletic, like you kind of feel like there's a chance that he can do that, right? Like he, he needs to fix his shot, but if he can do that, then he's, he's got the athleticism and size and athletic build and he's young. So, you know, there's piece that's like a good foundation for him to make those types of changes uh, if if he's able to work hard and you know work with the right people and, and develop uh, you know that kind of shooting he needs. Yeah, let's move on to the the NBA playoffs. Miami <laughs> Heat getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, people have been just waxing poetic about the job that Jimmy Butler did, and I'd like to say you know big picture here, he beat a Indiana team without one of their All Stars and Sabonis. He beat a uh, hobbled um, Milwaukee team without their best player. I mean, the whole team was built around him, and they lost him. And he was hobbled in game three, didn't play in game four and five. Regardless, he still won. They still won. They still beat the number one seed. And for that, the Miami Heat deserved the credit, and so does Jimmy Butler. But let's re- let's kind of revisit the trade. I'd like to get your opinion on, does this make you reevaluate the 2017 trade, or do you still there's still room for discussion? Well... I'll first say I think you, you get to give Butler, Butler and the Heat really as a whole a little more credit than you did for beating the Bucks. They were they're up two zero when when uh, Giannis was fully healthy and you know is so it's not like they yeah, well, just got lucky. It was like one the of the worst calls I've ever seen in the finals. Yeah, it was one of the worst calls I've ever seen to end the game. I still can't believe that decided the game, but I agree with you. You know, it shouldn't have been that close, right? My if you're at Milwaukee, you should be beating this team handily and. They shouldn't have been in that position, but I'm I'm trying to now to go back. I, I thought that game too was the one where there was a horrendous call against Miami that allowed the Bucks to to 
either tie or take the lead. And then there was a horrendous call the other way that then allowed Miami to win. And I thought both that's of those right. are bad calls, so then they just kind of canceled each other out. But I might be confusing that game with a different no, game. No, that's the, that's the game. Game two. Yeah. So, the game so two. I don't think you can. I don't think you can call blame it on the refs there. Anyway, regardless of that, my my thoughts on the Butler trade are kind of this. Um, it may not have been the right move to trade Jimmy Butler. Like maybe the right move would have been to keep Jimmy Butler. Uh, but if you traded Jimmy Butler, the Bulls got back more than the Minnesota Timberwolves did. And they got back more than the Philadelphia 76ers did. And Jimmy Butler demanded trades twice for being on on uh, situations that he did not like after uh, he left the Bulls. And so, you know, the, the Bulls didn't have any easy way to reload around him that, that year they traded him. So a year of being on a terrible team, I don't know that Butler is going to say, you know, not demand out of Chicago. And... You know, when when he was a free agent and demanded out of a good team uh, like Philadelphia, you know, I don't know that he wouldn't have done the same thing if he had not already demanded out of Chicago. Now, maybe he would have stayed with Chicago because they had the Supermax, and uh, you know, these other teams weren't able to offer that because he was no longer with his his home team. But in in that case, then it's like the the deal you're paying him is also fundamentally different than what Miami's doing, and you still would have had a hard time building around him. And I, I don't really think Miami is a true championship contender as it stands. Yeah. And maybe they can become one if they get Giannis or someone else, but I don't think they are now. So um, I, I think the Bulls got as much as they could in trade value out of him. I don't think they would have got more if they traded him later. I, at the time, I was like, yeah, I, I'm okay rebuilding. You know, we were frustrated with the treadmillish, slow downhill slope of the team. But one of the things I always thought was if you could keep him, you could have cleared the deck of all salary. I didn't like it when they signed Wade and Rondo. I said, don't go any over one year on these deals. And maybe you would have been able to pull in other stars in 2017 or 18 if, if you had not done that. But it's well, hard it's to say. Sim- Jimmy might have been pissed off and demanded out before he got to that point. That's right. Yeah, Jimmy Butler recruited Dwayne Wade. He's, for a big reason he was in Chicago was due to Jimmy Butler and his, the job he did there. Uh, yeah, that's the thing people forget is the Supermax. The Supermax, could you explain that for people who aren't aware of it? He, w- he would not have just taken a discount here to stay in Chicago. He would have asked for that Supermax, and that's why his trainer was so upset when he was traded is that that went out the window. Could you explain what that is compared to what Miami signed him for? Uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, and it's been a long time since I've looked at uh, the CBA to figure it out, but I believe the Supermax is 35% salary and the normal max is 30% salary. So effectively... Uh, you're just able to pay the guy more. And I don't know if it amounts to the difference between, say, like 32, 33 million you're starting at and like 40 million. Uh, but, you know, you look at Chris Paul and I think uh, Russell Westbrook, like they're massive, massive deals. I think we're both super max contracts. And it's just, it's just very expensive. Exactly. It costs you one or two good rotation players, potentially. I mean, yeah, probably, probably one. It's probably one rotation player it costs you. Yeah, right. I mean, look at the team. Look at the Heat team. I mean, I don't know if you feel this way. Like, I think the team around Jimmy Butler was better than the team around Giannis. If you had to play those two teams together, do you like Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic, who's played out of his mind? That's the thing that most people don't, I think, is is understated, if anything, is how good he's been down the stretch. Uh, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, you know, Iguodala and Crowder both played really well. Linux, those guys are, are are they better or worse than what's around Giannis? When you think about Middleton, who's probably the best player, you know, who's to me like a glorified Luol Deng. Uh, 
I would say, boy, it's tough to say which of those groups are better. I mean, it's interesting. The Heat guys are so young. Like, um, yeah, some like I don't know that I trust them. Tyler Hero. Yeah, Bam, Bam is probably legit, but the rest of those guys, and, and actually Goran Dragic is. He's been yeah, great. I mean, I would, say, I would say the Heat have a better cast. Agreed. But you got to hand it to Jimmy. I mean, you do. He, that game one against uh, Milwaukee was very good, and it's it's something I didn't think he had in him. You know, I lost all my faith in Jimmy Butler. Game three against the uh, Boston Celtics when you're up two on the number one seed, you got to put a foot on your on their throat, and he put up the worst game I've ever seen from a player of uh, his caliber in Chicago. And you know what? He progressed beyond that. You got to hand it to him. And the Heat are where they are now, in a big part due to him, but. I mean, even so, that I just think the team, it's its such a weird team in that it truly is a team as opposed to some of these other, like the Lakers are just built around two players, completely built around two players where, you know, Miami, I think, has more guys that can step up and, and do something special each game. Yeah. Who do you like left? Like, I mean, who do you think is going to win all this? I don't think we've gotten your prediction. It's got to be, at this point, you almost kind of have to predict the Lakers, don't you? I think you got to go with the, the Lakers at this point. And uh, I don't see anyone in the East having any chance. So Agreed. Has this Miami run changed your opinion overall of Jimmy Butler? Do you feel now that a team built around him can win a title? So I think this is kind of interesting because, one, I think it's a bad argument to make. Can you win with this guy as your best player? Because I think if you do that, you'll just get rid of good players because – you had no chance to trade Jimmy Blair, Jimmy Butler for a player who was a guy who could be your best player. Well, At the yeah, same yeah, time... Yeah, yeah, you do, though. Yeah, that's what you're doing, is you're hoping that Zach Levine develops into but, your best yeah, player. Yeah, but the odds of that, like, when we traded Butler for Levine, I thought there's almost no chance that Levine, the number seven, or Dunn were going to be better than Butler. So put that aside for a second. I think Butler's maybe around... The 10th best player in the NBA. Are you sure now, about that? I that's That would be my guess can, around that can, point. Can I now, throw, okay, go ahead. Yes, let me finish my point and you can counter. Yeah. If you said, what is the last team that won that did not have a player better than Jimmy Butler on it, which team would that be? That would be the 2000, I'd say Detroit Pistons of 2000, was it? Yeah, 2004. 2004. And I, I think that's the last team that I could say that for sure about. I could maybe make the case that he was better than anyone on the 07-08 Celtics. Um, you know, Paul Pierce probably being their best player. But but if you look at, I, I think so. But anyway, if you look at those two teams, let's just say, for for example, he's, he's, he's similar to Paul Pierce in his ability. Like, those teams then had two other guys on those teams that were great players too, right? Like, you know, the, the Celtics had Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett and Rondo and, and Perkins. Yeah, but I think and they the had three Pistons had, you know, you know, whoever you thought their best player was, they have four guys who were were very good, and so, you know, could Jimmy Butler be one of the guys in the platoon like that Celtics team where you had three guys of maybe similar quality to Jimmy Butler and win? And I think the answer to that question is yes, um, but I, I, he's not going to be like a guy who's going to traditionally carry your team, you know, like and and, and just the numbers bear that out, right? Like I mean, if you go back in time for the last. I don't know, 25 or so, 30 championships. Like, there's only a few teams that you could say their best player was not unequivocally better than Jimmy Butler. And, and the teams that are not unequivocally better, you could still make a strong case, like I know you want to do with Paul Pierce. 
And it's just not many teams where it's close. So I think he's, he's traditionally probably got to be your second best player, you know, or you need like three guys that are similar in caliber. I think the 2008 Celtics, I think they had three players better than Jimmy Butler. So I, I don't go by that one, 2008 Celtics. It's no the way 2000... that all three of those guys were better than Butler on that Paul Pierce was a team. better player at that period. The, than maybe Jimmy in their Butler. careers they had better years. There's no way Ray Allen was better that year than Jimmy Butler is. Uh, I don't even. Think, I don't even think KG. That's fair. Like KG, KG, KG is like what? What's the most he's ever done on his own? Jimmy Butler leading a team has led a team farther than Kevin Garnett has. Well, now he has, but he didn't really do that before that. Well, Kevin Garnett failed at it for like 15 years yeah, before he didn't get out of the first so. round. That's right. I think it comes down to where's Jimmy Butler in relation to the rest of the league. Like I'm going to throw out. Let's throw out some names real quick. This, these are who I have as a top 10 in general by any right. measure. Giannis, he's not better than. Uh, yep, you, you agree there, right? Agreed. Kawhi, LeBron, agreed. agreed. Harden. Uh, he's not hard to Harden. say. No, 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 no. He's not better than Harden. Listen, I, if Jimmy Butler and the Heat are in the West, they lose to, in the second round just as badly as Harden did to the Rockets. I, I just feel like Harden uh, only gives you one end of the floor. I don't know that he's so much better on that end. He's than that Butler. much better offensively. But, I don't but, know. They, they, come on. All right. We'll skip Harden then. Anthony okay. Davis. Skip Harden. Uh, again, I don't know. Oh my uh, God, Doug. Doug, no. Anthony Davis is better. All right. We'll what just is throw the that most, out. What's Anthony Davis ever done? Dude, he couldn't even make well, the playoffs. He's, 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 right, got, he's in the West. He, yeah, and, he, and he's younger than Jimmy Butler, and he's just got farther than Jimmy Butler ever has. At, at the age of what? Uh, Jimmy's at what now? 30 or 29? Well, yeah, he's done that as the second best player on his team. All right. Nikola Jokic? Yeah, but he's, no. he was in the West. You can't compare the East to the West. The West is much more difficult over the last decade by any sort of Nikola Jokic, no. You think Jimmy Butler is better than Jokic? Yeah. Got to disagree on that one, but we'll keep on going. Let's say Jalol Embiid? No. Luka Doncic. No, but probably in a year. Damian Next year, Lillard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a tough one for me, uh, but I'll say no. All right. See, I have him outside of everybody I mentioned. Uh, Damian I, Lillard, I, to I, me, is much better than Jimmy Butler. He's J- Damian Lillard's a top six player. I, I yeah, think. I, I, I could make the case for Lillard. I guess maybe I'll put it this way. Guys who are unequivocally better than Butler, those first three you named, and then Harden, maybe I'd give you, I don't know, hard for me to say on them. I'm I just not a big believer in Harden. But um, and then when I look at those next group, when you start talking about like Anthony Davis, Damian Lillard, Jokic, uh, Nikola Jokic, like those are all guys I could see like, yeah, I understand the case for it. And I could buy into it. I could see, yeah, I could make that arg- argument that they're better. Like, I, I don't think you're crazy or anything for thinking it. I wouldn't, you know, I've, I, but I, I don't think it's crazy to think the other way either. I think like, and to the extent either of those guys are better than the other is like, I think a lot of it is just what situation they're in, what's going on. You know, like, I just don't think that they're unequivocally better. They're, they're not like in a different tier. Maybe I'll put it that way. Like those are all guys that are like in a similar tier of like secondary tertiary type stars. They're like, like uh, all stars, not superstars. You know, yes, whereas I, I feel like Giannis, uh, LeBron, Kawhi, like those guys were like superstars. Those guys are like in a whole different tier of what they can do for you. And uh, and and really, even Giannis, like you got to question whether he's in that tier. 
uh, to some degree, like in the, in the playoffs, like without any type of jumper where you can just crowd him, you know, but, but I, I still put him there. Um, those guys are a different tier and, and I'm not sure that, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler is definitely below all those guys by like a, like a good amount. Right. And then the rest of those guys, I think like, yeah, they're maybe they're, maybe they're a little better. Maybe they're not, but I don't think fundamentally they're different pieces in terms of quality. We're a little bit blurred by the fact that the Western conference is so superior overall to the Eastern conference. I think, you know, Boston and I think there, there's in my, especially Miami, they're, they're first round exits in the, in the West. Like you're not beating Houston, you're not beating Denver, you're not beating the Clippers, you're not beating the Lakers. All four of those teams, I think, are better than any team in the East. Um, if we look at the teams that advanced, I think Miami would have stood. I think Miami would have beaten the Rockets. Um, I don't know that they. I don't know that they would have beat the Clippers or the Lakers. I don't think they would. I mean, I think those teams are the top two teams in the league. So I think not getting past those two teams, I don't think means a whole lot. For anyone, really, I mean, like, I, no one's going to get past them. But yeah, I, I agree. I don't think I don't think the Miami Heat are like the fourth best team in the league, or like the fifth or sixth best team in the league. Yeah, it is. But I, I do think Jimmy has, has had a profound impact on winning at, at every place that he's been, and I and I, I think it's, it's like a documented impact on winning every place he's been. So I, that's fair. I actually think very highly of of him and and how he moves the needle. And you know, some of these other guys, like I, I think, put up great numbers, but I'm not sure that they. They didn't necessarily move the needle, and and Jimmy's been big in playoff moments. He's he's been good, good in the playoffs as well as, as in, in the regular season. So I I mean I, I yeah, think he's, he's a guy who, who does very well. I I never thought he was really exceptional for the Bull. I mean he had the first two games against Boston in 2017. He had some decent playoff games, but he was never exceptional. He was never at a superstar level for the Bulls. Clearly, he's gotten a lot better. No, absolutely. Time has gone on. Yes, that's, that, that's he's my def- point. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely gotten better. Yeah. I mean, if you look at this trade and getting back to our original question, you know, there, there's there's different pieces in this trade. Jimmy's stock has gone up since he left the Bulls. You know, he he, he continued to well, improve. I think it's since he left Philly, game. or since he left and, Minnesota. Like, I, I I think I think I I think he's consistently gotten better, uh, just a little better every year. And I, I think at his age and how things were, like that was really a question that that was going to happen. Uh, you know, great for Jimmy that he's done that, but like I wouldn't have put money on that necessarily being the case. And but yes, his stock has risen like unequivocally. You know, Zach Levine's stock I think is up higher since when you know the Bulls got him in trade. Uh, Larry Malkin's stock, if you look at the number seven pick, I think you know first he he looked really high, like we got this steal in the draft, and and now I think he's he's probably settled into about what you'd expect out of the number seven pick, which is a you know a starting caliber player, but probably not much more than that. And lower you know, Chris, right now. Chris Dunn was a guy whose stock was extremely low when we got him. It it jumped up for one year, and now it's near zero. So, you know, overall, and in, in, in the way things have gone, you know, I think, you know, the the trade didn't work out for us. But I I don't think like the the opposite would have worked either. Like if we had kept Jimmy, I don't think we would be happy with where the Bulls are right now either. We would be complaining. We just have different complaints. I think Jimmy Butler is as good as he is today. I don't think he's any better or worse than he was for us. In 16-17, I think he was an excellent basketball player. He had a lot of incredible moments in that regular season that, you know, time is faded memories. But I was at a game he had 50-plus at uh, in, I think, January 2017. He was fantastic for much of that year. I don't think he's that different of a player, better or worse, than he was then. He's just older. He's just got a, a team that's a little bit more conducive, built better for him. He doesn't have... Nico brick and wide open threes. He has guys that are hitting shots and 
that fit with him better than he had with the Bulls. But doesn't no, statistically, you are correct. His best year statistically was his last year with the Bulls. He was fantastic that year. Yeah, and if the Bulls had a better record, I think they were five. They had five hundred right that year. If they were one, you know, six or seven more games, he would have had MVP discussion. He was absolutely phenomenal that season. That's all right. You sold me. Maybe I'm overrating Butler a little bit. That that said, that said, like we also forget, you know, he was said incredibly stupid things about Derrick Rose and Derrick's last year here for, you know, basically questioning his work ethic. He questioned the work ethic of the young players on this team, which Rondo had a counter the following day after a disappointing loss um, in 2017. And, and, you know, people want to rewrite it, but it was incredibly dumb. It was incredibly stupid. But to his, to, in his defense, he was learning to be a leader during all that time. He wasn't like the best most dominant player on his collegiate team or even in high school. It's like kind of a strange situation with Jimmy Butler. And then he, you know, I don't see by how anybody can argue that he was great to his teammates in Minnesota. Uh, you know, I think Towns and, and Wiggins clearly regressed during his time there. He didn't make his teammates better. And with Philly, for whatever reason, he didn't like Brown or he didn't like Simmons. You know, that was kind of a, another weird situation. He ends up in Miami and he's, it's his team. It's clearly his team, and you know we'll see where that gets him. I know they're not going to beat whoever comes out of the West, you know. But he's on the downside of his career. I, I I still think it's too early to say, "Oh, the Bulls lost it." It's so easy to say right now. Let's well, I think Zach they lost Levine that goes. trade. What? I think they lost that trade. I, I mean, well, there's there's no way they say that yet. There's I mean, no way that there's no way they won that trade. I mean, like maybe it turns out that it doesn't matter either way. Like a lot of trades do. It may be one of those deals, but you know they, they didn't win that trade. Well, not uh, yet. You, you can say that now, but of course, that's right, the exactly way it looks now. A superstar that, for the Bulls and fine, hold on. But you look I at all these teams. You look at all these teams. Kawhi Leonard, all the best players that are left are here. Paul George, LeBron James, even Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler. With the exception of Boston, all these guys have their best players are what? 27, 28, 30, 34 years old. The Bulls' best player is Zach Levine at 25 years old. There's still time for these guys to develop into something special. Then we'll say, you know, looking back, you know what? That's right. That was a bad trade or better trade. But I still think there's development. Zach Levine's not gotten better of, every not year. One of, not one of those guys was remotely the quality of Zach Levine when they were 25. They were all clearly better than Levine at 25. It, it, Jimmy Butler? Fine. I, I, hope, I well, hope. Hold on a second. That's not true. Jimmy Butler at 25. Was not clearly, clearly better. He was not the scorer Zach Levine is. Let's go back and see his what, what year. Jimmy Butler, Doug, in his first contract, you and I were both questioning whether or not this guy is worth the money they offered him, which was like forty eight, what forty eight million. Am, I, I, I could let me go back and see what year. Yeah, well. J- Jimmy Butler might be the single exception of that. I'll, I'll agree with you. At twenty five, eighteen point six points a game, uh, two way player, good efficiency. Uh, but still not like an elite player. I, but at 25, I'd still take – I was still taking 25-year-old Jimmy Butler over Zach Levine because he was a two, two-way player. Jimmy Butler but he wasn't, yeah. it wasn't the score. True, true. But I exactly agree with you. But, yes. He, anyway, I will go back to one, – one other thing I'd like to add, and it kind of goes to your point. I've seen people say, you know, Jimmy Butler um, is – sorry, 20 points a game. I was looking at his points per 36 minutes, 20 points a game. I'd definitely take him over, over Zach even at 25. But – uh, people said, like, oh, look, Jimmy Butler is a great leader because he's with the Heat. Well, no, he's not a great leader. 
he's fallen into a situation where his lack of leadership isn't a problem because, you know, whatever the, the people around him. But like a really great leader, you could drop into almost any situation and he rises all the boats. Yeah. You know, you drop Jimmy into most situations and it's just going to burn shit to the ground. But yeah, he found this one situation where things have worked out great. And that's and it's good. Like he kept moving until he found a situation where he's happy and people think the way he thinks and do the things he likes and, and whatever. And, you know, I, I don't mean that as like a negative thing, but it's not like he's that doesn't make him a leader by the fact that he finally found a team that doesn't hate him like on his fourth try. You know, that doesn't make you make you a leader. Like if you you flame out at your first three jobs and on the fourth one, it, it's finally a good fit. Like that doesn't make you a natural people person. It, you know, it's like, you know, you, you don't you don't fit in all situations. A leader figures out how to make things better. Doesn't just say like, wow, these people don't think the same way as me. Screw all of them and, and just burn stuff down. And, and that kind of seems how Jimmy's been. Glad he's finally found the people that, you know, think the way he thinks, but doesn't make him a leader. Makes him. You know, makes him a guy you can work with. Excellent point. And on that note, let's pull in the big red bus after another exciting uh, show. Great, great content there at the end. I agree 100% what you said there. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see where we're at next week from now. I, I, I hope, you know, I like Jimmy Butler. I hope he beats Boston. I'm not a Boston fan. But- I mean, Miami is the team I'm pulling for for the rest of this thing. I mean, like, I don't know how anyone could like either of the L.A. teams. They're both just mercenary teams. Like, unless you're just a fan of one of them before all of this. Like, I don't see why you would root for a team that just imported a couple stars and whatever. Like, you know, they're, they're not underdogs or anything. There's, like, no, no like, fan-friendly story with either of those teams. And I don't know why. I just don't like Boston. So <laughs> I am rooting for Miami to take the whole thing at this point or the Nuggets. I, I would love to see the Nuggets or Miami win the whole thing. That, those would be my best scenario. So I, I'm rooting for Jimmy. DT, great stuff, brother. Looking forward to our conversation next weekend. All the best until then, my man. All right. See you, Fred. Have a good one.